Hello, I am Zeke Arani Lucas, and I am the introspective developer. My guest today, or maybe my interviewer today, is Benjamin. Benjamin is a developer working at one of the big German car manufacturers. He works on autonomous driving. I'll give him a chance to explain what he does because it's not entirely clear to me. We met over LinkedIn and he had asked me some pretty smart questions about working at Amazon and working in kind of big American tech. We had this idea that we could maybe talk about it in a more public way, um, have a conversation slash reverse interview. Originally, you know, Benjamin was wanting to ask me some questions. And so um, yeah, I'll let it I'll open it up here. Benjamin, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So my name is Benjamin and I work um, for a big German car manufacturer um, in the field of autonomous driving. And I do evaluation for autonomous driving, which means it's sort of a branch of testing. We uh, collect some metrics on whether we are still uh, driving well today or even hopefully driving a bit better than we did yesterday. And so, so we maintain and uh, use all of uh, those real big test platforms and we analyze a lot of data, of course. We are really at the forefront of the uh, digital transformation of the automotive industry. And of course, it is also very interesting for me, um, how, how can we bring more software into, into cars, for example? Like uh, my company is not really a, a software company at its core, but certainly uh, wants to become that. And um, I'm, I'm really curious, like how, how can a big company like have a, a sustainable and healthy ecosystem of, of productive software engineers and how can can uh, how can a software company attract talent and what makes uh, functional or dysfunctional teams in such an organization and i think it's a little bit different than uh, what works or doesn't work for hardware centric companies and um, certainly i'm also interested in how my path would look there in such a setting and i'm looking of course, uh, um, of course, I'm also looking up a little bit to to the big software companies uh, from the U.S., which seem to have gotten it right in some ways, and uh, that's why I'm really happy here to talk with Zeke about um, his experience and his journey, um, and yeah, a lot of questions. Let's just say. <laughs> Okay. Can can you tell me a little bit about like your your own history? Like how long have you been a software developer? Mm -hmm. Kind of where did you know what, what kind of education do you have? Or mm -hmm. um, you know, like maybe how many companies you've worked for, mm -hmm. um, domain expertise or something like that. Just a, a little bit of kind of detail, I think. Yeah. So um I'm actually a computer scientist or a multimedia computer scientist, um, graduated in 2010. Um, and I, I'm really a developer at core. And um, so as a student already, I was programming some 
uh, web applications, uh, they they all were horrible and <laughs> like by today's standard and like by like how how well maintainable they were, they were really bad. Um, which was which was the first? I, w- I was just out of curious. What was the first oh, tech stack you used well, to build a web application? Well, um, that was. Uh, I would say that the first real application was some sort of content management system for my school. I, uh, in the last grade, uh, one of us could become like the webmaster for the school and could skip the computer science classes for that. And I took it upon myself to to kind of do like a MySQL PHP sort of web application to manage the whole uh, school's um, presence, basically. Uh, yeah, I had this these side gigs for some web applications all the way through the studies. And then, um, yeah, I started to work for my current employer basically um, and got into IT first because software was really not a big priority there, but I always wanted to somehow like keep coding, keep coding and did a lot of passion projects. And um, I took some classes at Udacity. I started like maybe People know it by now. It's like a, a massive open online course provider. And um, they started out as free open courses from Stanford University. And I was there more or less since the beginning and always took some courses. And that way was able to kind of wiggle my way back into uh, software development, which became a much bigger thing by now in our company. And um, yeah, I've also done some interviews here and there and um, know a little bit about the the way maybe Amazon does mm-hmm. interviews. But um, yeah, I uh, like, yeah, I would also be much more interested in in, in how, how does, uh, do candidates, for example, get hired or, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so it sounds like you've been, you know, coding at some level, for like more than 15 years and then coding professionally for how long? Because you said you didn't start off doing software development. Yeah, so um, around 2015, um, I got the chance to to uh, mainly wiggle my way back into a position where I was coding and where I was really designing IT systems and programming them um, and automating them. Uh, before that, like there was a time of, of about five years, which I spent in IT more like managing those systems and mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. and operating them, which is mm-hmm. also um, which is also a helpful skill, I would say, because you see like you see some aspects of the coast side of things, or like how 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 coast is calculated, how how like people are managed, and yeah. how. Um, different tenants use a system together and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. When I when when I got into the business, almost everybody I knew who was a software developer did coding on the side of whatever that was that they were doing first. So like mm-hmm. they you know like they were in they were uh, uh, in hardware engineering. You know, they went to electrical engineering school and then they did coding on the side, or they're a physicist and they did coding on the side, or the economist and they did coding on the side or something like that. These were 
really common traits and almost nobody was coming straight from computer science. I, I your path actually totally resonates with me. I mean, I also took a lot of different, I mean, I, my first tech job was answering the phones. Mm. I, I think it, you're right. It gives you a good perspective um, about how software is built, why we build software. If you were, you know, having, you know, had to, had to use it from these different dim dimensions. So Zeke, you, you have uh, now been a part of uh, two of these big giant companies, um, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, even Amazon US and Amazon in Germany. What would you say like is one of the differences you realized when, when coming from Amazon in, in the US to, to here in Germany? Man, um, so of course, It's, it's So I came from Seattle, and the, Seattle is the first Amazon hub. They have Amazon HQ. And at the point where I joined Amazon in 2011, was Amazon was in explosive growth. I mean, just crazy growing. We were talking about every week you had start hires coming in, and it's like 100 to 200 hires per week starting, right? So... Um, and that means that there's like just Amazonians everywhere. Like, and there were standing up buildings. When I started, there was one building, I think, standing in South Lake Union. And nowadays, you know, it's 10 years later. And I think there's 40 or 50 buildings downtown Seattle filled with, with Amazon. So um, the biggest difference was I, like just at the kind of the most basic level is that in Germany, Amazon is just a business, whereas like in, you know, in Seattle, Amazon is a, is a behemoth. It's a juggernaut. It was like the fuel that makes everything kind of, it was just so transformative for what was going on in Seattle. I mean, similar, Microsoft was similar, but for the East side. Mm -hmm. So in, in Seattle, there's, there's, there's a Seattle and then there's a suburb of Seattle called Redmond, which is really was just farmland when, when when Microsoft started there and even was, even when I started there, there was just a few, not very many buildings, like, I don't know, like 15 buildings in 1996 when I went full time. And they also went through this explosive growth and totally transformed Redmond and Bellevue. Um, so basic, the, the big one coming here was actually, I mean, just that we were small potatoes, you know, like, and, um, but it also meant that we got to kind of have our own identity. And um, and definitely it was, there's some really wonderful, from me personally, things that were different here in Germany because the character of German employment is different. So I'll give you one kind of example is that uh, in Germany, you're required to have kind of space for your desk Right. And you're supposed to have, you know, like at least an office worker, you should be able to see the window and things like that. And in, and at Amazon, all this crazy growth was going on. I mean, you'd have like sometimes three people sitting at the same desk. You didn't even have room for your elbows at the desk. And they were using these internal offices. We called them caves, but they were supposed to be just kind of like meeting rooms, but they would, you know, just stuff them full of people. So you were, you know, elbow to elbow. And I mean, that's really silly kind of stuff, but like 
extension cords to extension cords to extension cords, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, then coming, then coming in German office and they, in a German office, I mean, this to me was, I just never even considered this, but there's, you know, you have to meet these safety yeah. standards. And that means that there's a little inspector who comes <laughs> through in the office and puts stickers on every single device to show that it's been checked by the electrician and takes away and all of your extension cords because you're not a man takes away. Doing that <laughs> right but i mean but it really was like even when i went back to visit i would be like you know like in theory amazon had kind of stabilized but really they'd still kind of kept these habits where under german kind of safety and workspace concern, you know, concerns. Amazon would have been kind of looked like a death trap. I mean, it would look like what of, I don't know. Um, and and this this applies to a lot of different things. You know, of course, you know, Germany has guaranteed sick leave, um, and you know, and that's not true. And you know, vacation, um, a lot of these things that kind of I would just say lean towards work life balance being. Uh, expected, mm. um, and I know that that people there's it was much easier for people with families to feel like they were like uh, I'm going to say on the productive end of the spectrum in the teams here in Germany. Whereas a lot of times in Seattle, you'd, you know, if you had a family, you were competing with these kids that are straight out of university, mm. and they I mean they just never they never leave the office. They would just mm. stay in the office all, all 24 hours a day. Do you think that this is long term? somewhat more sustainable it's, it sounds like you came to appreciate uh the perk the perks of uh coming here some might also say it it, it leads to a company maybe being a bit more sluggish and being more hesitant to take risks and being less innovative um but as as you say it like i can see i can see an upside to that as well in like providing a a better workplace for people to come, maybe also for people to to stand stay longer in in such a workplace. Yeah, I I think that um, I think that Amazon, you know, the Berlin Development Office is a kinder, gentler office than the than the Amazon in Seattle. I'll just say that this kind of the nature of it is it is more comfortable and easier to feel like you can you know uh, you know balance your your work inputs and outputs um this is kind this is there's a big difference between germany and american systems i mean that's you know the german the german stuff values kind of this safety net and you know protections um you know societal community kind of standard stuff that you know in america is like you can see it in all different dimensions but it's you know individuated and high risk, high reward kind of stuff. This, this, you can see it reflected also in the kind of startup strategy stuff, you know, like that in Silicon Valley, you know, you have a bunch of guys starting a business and they're, you know, sleeping out of their cars or something like they talk about garages, but like, you know, you're, it's too expensive to figure out how to get the right space, but you need to hire the right people and, you know, be close to the the network and the connections and stuff like this. And so people are, you know, putting, putting their all into, you know, getting it off the ground. Mm. Um, and, you know, in Germany, there's definitely a much more conservative 
both at your personal level, but also at the financial level, like, you know, you see um, businesses don't tend to kind of banks and businesses don't really want to invest in stuff that, you know, is really almost like a cockamamie idea. And it would only work if, you know, like if somebody is so crazy that they'll put all of their life into mm -hmm. it, you know? Um, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, hiring and how, how uh, the team here in Germany began growing. Like, I understand you were mainly first a few guys coming over from from the US and then uh, you are also looking into finding people here in Germany. Did you see any any difference in how how the, maybe how the labor market is organized in, in the way um, people responded uh, in, in the way like education is done here and how um, like in, in, in the pool of engineers that you had at your disposal here in Germany? Yeah, there's huge differences. So um, the first difference is competition for talent, right? So in the United States, there are a lot of, you know, you know, Microsoft and Amazon are competing for the same talent along with Facebook and Google and, you know, a ton of other startups and they're pulling hard on, on this talent. And in, And in Germany or in Berlin, there's not so much, there are not so many big guys. They're kind of trying to suck up the people. And so when, when, when we were starting the office, you know, and it's actually the office started first with an acquisition of a company. And then, uh, then the, the, the acquisition got expanded by basically because one of the, one of the leaders we had was from Berlin and had connections with TU. And so the team that I joined originally was this ML core team, machine learning core team. And they were um, basically, the idea was if we're close to TU, we can pull the, the, the ML researchers right off the top, um, you know, as they're graduating and, you know, go to their PhDs. So kind of, you know, build on social connections, but also make it convenient for them to switch over to Amazon and stuff like that. And, um, and this is actually is in fact what happened, but for developers and other, because and Amazon pretty quickly recognized that they wanted more than just a team of uh, ML researchers. Um, and they, you know, they got an office. So we were like between the two teams, we were fewer than 50, but they rented an office that has seats 400. So that tells you like when I started in 2014, we moved in the new office in 2015 The plan is to grow and the plan is to have hire as much as possible. But we didn't have the same relationships or the same talent pool. And um, like the, the company doesn't have it. So in the US, Amazon biases very heavily towards competing with people who are called grad hires. So pretty much people who are in school or, or just out of school and recruiting those people and, um, and pretty much you know, training them into the Amazon method of doing things. It's, and this is very competitive market too for the grad hires, but they have all these relationships with these different schools, uh, you know, from years past. And, and in Europe, this is not true. There was just no relationship with any schools as far as I could tell. Um, and instead we were pulling out of the, the industry pool, which is people who work in startups or work as freelancers, 
and it's for all of EU, not just Germany or Berlin, right? Mm. So as we were growing those first teams, it was very different. In the US, most interviews, most of the big recruiting pushes are all at the grad level. Mm -hmm. And you do a little bit of kind of surgical kind of recruiting at the higher levels. Um, but here we actually kind of were doing the mass recruiting at the industry level, mm -hmm. which is, you know, where people have some experience and then trying to calibrate them with the, the, the existing kind of Amazon growth trajectory, growth trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, this is pretty challenging, both in terms of the people we were talking to have expectations about how companies would work. Yeah. And the internals of the company had expectations about what, you know, what the, the, the new talent people, you know, new developers would bring to the table, right? Because yeah. the, the, the resource pools are just so different. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think I uh, read about that once that in the US you have really specialized companies who uh, bridge the gap or like mediate between uh, graduates from the major uh, technical universities and then like placing them as essentially like in internships first, but then basically this mm -hmm. also leading to like longer term contracts um, with a big technological, uh, with a big tech companies, basically. Um, yeah, we don't have that here, yeah. I think. We <laughs> we have the people uh, who, who work here in, in, uh, in different uh, smaller companies, which are maybe not so technical focused. And yeah. I don't I don't know what it's like these days, but when I was, you know, kind of a more junior developer at Microsoft and I didn't I didn't go to university, so I didn't get the intern experience, but I got to see the the intern experience where Microsoft was really trying to get people as early as possible, get talented people as early as possible to come and intern. Mm -hmm. And and it, Microsoft didn't care at all whether you finish your degree. That was really up to you. If you were uh a person with talent, they wanted to pull you as soon as possible into the offices. And so they did all kinds of um, intern social kind of connection stuff. They were really big on, you know, making it like exciting place to work, you know, and I remember interns would, they'd, they'd say, screw it. I'm not going back to school. I'm signing, I'm signing the contract. And then they'd come to work on their first day in a Porsche, right? Because that was the, it was just so, you know, exciting and a rush. So it, it really is <laughs> so different. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I mean, I, I have some experience with how how jobs are posted uh, in, in the US. And it seems to me um, that the paths people can take are a bit more clear defined, like uh, obviously starting out maybe from an educational background and then moving up from there and with a very sharp focus to to some aspect of software engineering, for example, um, you really have, you, you can read a job posting from any of the bigger companies uh, in the US and you know, like, okay, this is a data analyst. This is, uh, uh, by contrast, a DevOps engineer and this uh, by other contrast, is like a product manager, but but I see somehow in 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 Germany at least, uh, lots of the traditional companies they are posting 
um, if they are looking for someone in the with the aspect of software engineering, they're they're looking more for jack of all trades sort of. Uh, do you think that's also mm -hmm. also because people have more security, maybe stay in companies longer, and that's why they kind of need to wear all of these different hats? Or um, or have you have you done this differently no. in in Amazon? Like, ha, ha, did you have uh, more clear paths? Is this something you should actually try to kind of aspire to do to put people <laughs> in in more of like clear uh, responsibilities? So it's it's actually you know. So I'm not a specialist in this area. So I'll just give a caveat here. I want to give a disclaimer that this is not something that I specialize in understanding, but these different job categories are actually not about, they're less about the people and their paths and more about the companies and their, the competitive space. And I'll, I'll give a very concrete example here, which was like the introduction of front end developer at Amazon. So most developers at Amazon, the default developer at Amazon is, is a jack of all trades. Amazon prefers the, the notion of a fungible developer, a developer that you can put on any problem anywhere. And so this is, ideally, there would just be one developer job. That's the developer, SDE. But, um, and in fact, for a long time, that's pretty much how it was. But when it turns out that you have to compete with other companies for certain technical skills, then the, the, the profile that you're hunting for, you need to define it better. So it has less to do with, hey, this individual has this development arc and we support these many different development arcs, then we're competing with other companies for specific um, technical domain knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in order to get that domain knowledge, we need to call these people out for what they are, for their specialty. So the, the front-end developer was was because mobile development really started to take off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... Right? Mm. And, and when, that, when, it, when it became hard to get mobile developers, like, I mean, and Amazon really needed mobile developers, mm. like, was, I would say, desperate for, like, iOS developers were just extremely hard mm. to get. Then it becomes like, well, you need a separate kind of call them out as specialists as you know important roles because before that amazon would kind of say hey developers are all the same but the the cool guys are all the guys who work on um the biggest back-end infrastructure those are the 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 real mm -hmm. badass developers and those guys kind of they would not see themselves as working on ios they're kind of like well i'm a big bad badass you know, iOS develop. I'm a big bad backend developer, super scalar technology. And then they would interview, you know, iOS developer and the iOS developer is like, that's not my domain. That's what I know what I do. And so the backend guy says, well, he's not a very good developer because he doesn't know how to do it. So this is where, and then we're losing that talent. We're no longer able to, to make a case for working at Amazon. And then we're falling behind other companies. Right. Mm. So this is, I, I think the, the domain roles and the levels and, and, and it's, it's about market. It's mm -hmm. about the markets that you play in. Um, another example here was that when they were first, like the, the ML core team I was on was recording, you know, machine learning scientists and the scientists, you know, 
they they really had to figure out what the the role is. Are they, they Amazon doesn't really need researchers, and most of these guys come from a research background, right? And so there's like, oh, the applied scientist, and then you know what are the levels, and how do you you know calibrate, you know, a junior applied scientist who has a PhD with uh you know a um you know a a college dropout developer, right? Where, where are their kind of relative levels and what's the competition? And it had a lot to do with, I mean, where they kind of settled on this stuff has a lot to do with who Amazon was competing with in order to get those people, mm. right? So what Rob, what jobs they, what responsibilities they give, what they would pay them, what their um, titles would be, all this stuff has a lot to do with what the other companies were doing. Cause like back in 2015, 2016, I mean, it was a crazy time around ML. Like everybody was just talking about ML. Mm. I was recruiting all the scientists all the time and they're just kind of jumping ship and, you know, um, trying to find the, a lot of times trying to, I feel like trying to find the perfect ivory tower to practice their, their, their fantastic skills from. And the, and the companies were trying to find the right pitch yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it's really a little bit about specialization you're saying, like, um, since it, like, like the way it has been since the, uh, start of mankind that, uh, at the first time, like you had hunter gatherers, like who doing sort of all the things and then, uh, slowly jobs started to specialize. And that's, that's the way it, uh, has been going with, um, software engineering as well, that, uh, you kind of have more detailed specializations, uh, not necessarily because um, people understand the industry better, but because you have to um, cater to certain um, market, more or less. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, exactly. Perhaps what what are other interesting things you you saw like in the uh, in in the recent years? Uh, how how did the soft software engineering develop um, here in Germany as um, as a craft? Like, uh, have you seen some some change in in the recent years? Um, how how the how the market how the industry in and around Berlin has changed? I, you know, I probably don't have the best perspective there because Amazon is just sampling, like, I mean, we're, I mean, I interview a lot of people, but I don't have a good idea about what other companies are doing as much or um, like that. But I can tell you some of the differences in terms of, um, you know, what in terms of hiring and then how we ch Amazon changed its behavior while they're looking at the talent pool, right? So like I said before, in the beginning, we were doing a lot of industry hires and the industry hires um, were, so so Amazon, the kind of the, the, the three most common levels are L4, L5, and L6. You can look at this at like levels FYI or something. Um, and developers, you know, beginning developers are L4, you know, journeyman developers are L5 and senior developers L6. And really the difference between them are L4 is, you know, needs guidance. L5 is works independently and L6 is leads others, 
right? And um, and these these at Amazon, these are like very different jobs. Like the job role is is kind of different. The scope of impact, the expectations are like this. So when you're kind of successful at one level, it doesn't mean you're ready. It doesn't mean you're successful at the next level. And um, and it's a fairly blunt instrument. As opposed to, I think, a lot of other companies that have a lot of gradients mm -hmm. about like, oh, you're making progress on your career. Amazon is like, you know, like you're really kind of a, these big course uh, developmental steps. And um, and when we first were hiring, um, we would do these blitzes. Like when I was, we were hiring for community shopping and we were starting the gifting and reviews and these other teams. and. And um, we do these blitzes, you know, and a blitz is where you have, you know, say 30 or 40 people come to be interviewed over, a, you know, a few days. And so as an interviewer, you're in, you're in there all day long, eight, eight interviews in a row or six interviews in a row and then debrief. And then you do that again the next day, um, so on and so forth. These are quite intense um, to, to set up and to, to be a part of. And, um, and we, we, the thing that we had, because we didn't have the pipeline, then the L4, which would be the grad hires normally, we would have people that were in between. They were like, they had been, had industry experience that are much more experienced than we would get for a grad hire, mm -hmm. but they didn't have the level, the scope of impact they were expected to have for L L5. Mm -hmm. And originally we didn't, we we just kind of hired through it. We just kind of hired people and said, "Oh, this is where you get you place in L four or L five. Um, but the 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 challenge for Amazon is if the trajectory, if the kind of curve you're saying, like the path of growth for people is that you kind of come in in a grad in L four and you work for a couple of years and you get promoted to L five. The people who were we were hiring L four were not in that same curve. So they, it was harder to figure out their trajectory and see how they were going to, to, to grow at the right velocity. Um, and the right one, meaning the expected Amazon velocity, right? So it's not just, um, it's just like, you just kind of think that this is how it's going to work. And I, I think that was pretty tricky for us. It, the handy part was, I mean, that, are it was really easy for us to get projects and get people off the ground because the the talent pool in Berlin are a lot of times like freelancers and mm -hmm. other stuff that have worked in fairly chaotic environments and come with pretty broad skill sets so they could kind of you put them in the Amazon you know tool system and they're like oh yeah sure sure whereas you know at Amazon before you know you hire from the grad they they, they don't know anything. They don't really don't know anything about software development. They don't know anything about tool chains. Um, you know, realistically, you have to babysit them through a lot of different stuff. Um, but the expectations were really different too. And, and I, this, th this I saw as, uh, so somebody might be, you know, comfortable with the tool chain, but they also would be expecting a, a different kind of behavior from their management and leadership. Mm -hmm. And um, it took me time personally to kind of understand this, but uh, I realized that this is because European businesses in general are more hierarchical. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting observation. I want to sort of uh, dig more into that. So, wh what do you think like make makes a good uh, leader in this environment here? Like, if if 
someone would aspire to be like a software development manager leading a, a bunch of uh, technical people. Um, what are your personal, like your personal uh, values that you, you try to advocate for? And uh, like, what do you think, like what is the, you, you have a software developer background as well. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you mentioned also uh, that there's a good book, which is like, what didn't get you here? Oh, what what got you here won't get you there. I think. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So so I I expect you you would also need to stop doing some things, um, to to be a leader, um, mm -hmm. and maybe let others kind of find their way. But then again, you said maybe some some more hierarchy hierarchy is needed. Some more leadership is needed. How how did you? see your role there like in trying to get the best out of your team what kind of values did you try to um, advocate yeah that's that's a really tricky one for me personally so there's there's kind of different i can approach it from a couple different places so there's i think the amazon model like i said which is that there's this these levels and the levels correspond most closely to scope of impact and the, the degree in which you will be trusted to kind of navigate ambiguity and make decisions and stuff like that. So at the, at the L6 level, um, mo no matter what your role is, the expectation is, is that you will be guiding teams, guiding groups of people to, to find opportunities and make decisions and stuff. So this is if, as in, when I was in L6, senior engineer you know so i'm the i'm like you know often the most experienced person on the team then i'm at least as influential in what the team does as the the manager what or the product manager yes what what kind of uh, responsibility then still lies with the product manager i see that this is sometimes like a challenge uh, which German companies have, they have a hierarchical structure um, with a manager on the top and some technical people below them. And they see now, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's not the, the like maybe they need to establish a technical leadership with like a parallel hierarchy or something like that. How, how do you think like, can, can two roles like this uh, collaborate well uh, how can this how can this work because it's not as you said it's it's not the uh, traditional way i think most companies here in the industry are set up that's right so um at amazon there's a lot of point-to-point -point relationships right so you know and, and this is about ownership about what responsibilities you volunteer for and take on so like, I mean, one of the, I, I saw we hired a manager at one point and he really struggled because um, nobody would tell him what his job was. Mm. That's the way, that's the way he communicated to me. And I was actually, this is when I'm a senior developer, I was asked to, um, you know, step in and support him, which I did several times, actually, I would take people who are new to the management role or whatever. And, and as a senior developer, you have to do a lot of the same things that a manager would have to do 
in terms of getting the projects done, getting the projects out the door, getting them started, getting people on the right path. Um, you just don't have people who report to you, mm -hmm. right? So the biggest difference, you know, of course, between a software development manager and a senior developer, a senior SDE on a kind of, on a product team would honestly be the fact that the manager has people, right? That they, that they, they're responsible for the, the people. Many of the other skills are totally overlapping, right? Like, are you'd, you know, one or the other, there's, there's a really great manager who I talked to at one point, he was giving the rundown of what, you know, what an SDM at Amazon has to do. And he said, well, basically I have to do whatever the rest of my team can't do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a more of a interplanetarial kind of uh, look at it. Right. Uh, that this is generally the role which falls to the, like the CEO of a startup or something like is is there yeah. right from the beginning, um, starts to grow the business, maybe starts it himself doing all the things and slowly kind of realizing that there are other people who can do aspects of uh, his job, um, much better. And then starting to, to, mm -hmm. to outsource some of the work until maybe hopefully he, he doesn't need to do anything anymore, but if there's something like burning up, uh, he still needs to jump in, right? Uh, that's mm -hmm. that's I think like how how a lot of uh, the, the way a lot of uh, startup founders sort of work, right? Um, but mm -hmm. um, and and Amazon, you could say, is like this. I mean, Amazon has this model of the two pizza team. Mm -hmm. um, that they, you'll hear referenced all over the place, and it's probably not clear what that means and especially because you know two pizza teams are not enough to get important things done at Amazon anymore like you need bigger organizations to do it but the the mental model is still the two pizza team meaning that there's still like you kind of organizational unit and the the federation is such that at that level you know when you have like you know I, I had a team of you know 15 people i i have complete control over how everything is organized within that team. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of who does what, how we schedule it, you know, whatever. Now there's an interface up to the, in the, into my organization about, you know, what kinds of reports or how do we set goals and how we communicate with, you know, partner teams and stuff like this. There's these, you know, these, these, these interface boundaries, but I mean, every team at Amazon is like allowed to run completely different. Mm -hmm. mm. Right, and that means that you do require a lot more autonomy and leadership to 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 figure out how what this team needs in order to run. So it's much closer to what you're talking about. That you know, Amazon, they the, the, they say always say it's day one, but it is kind of like a startup in this case. You know, when you know when you take on your team, you're like, okay, I gotta you know create the name of the team, I gotta create the documentation, I have to set the product vision, I need to you know, hire people, I need to, you know, like you have to cover all these different dimensions mm -hmm. simultaneously. Mm. And what you're looking for from, you know, from a product manager, a senior developer, or, 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 or even junior, more junior people, but that they're, um, they're you, you're looking for partners, you're looking for people who you can delegate to, or you can rely on to to take over those responsibilities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, mm. I, I, I mean, it's some level, this is actually trickier for me with the developers because I had, I have so much more development experience that when I'm this 
when I'm the dev manager, my temptation is to do what I do best, mm. which is to dive into the code and go to the, the dev designs and stuff like this. And sometimes I really had to, like I, when, when my team didn't have a senior developer, there were some dimensions that my team needed. We needed to you know work with other teams and we needed a senior developer thought process, I'll say, in order to, to, to work well, to coordinate those partnerships. Mm. And um, I mean, and I could have said, I'm not up to the task or I'm not ready to do it and somebody else has to fill it in. But instead, I wanted to make sure that the the work was done at the quality that, that I would expect of the team. And so I would often do it myself. So I, I wouldn't say I'm, and I'm not alone here, I wouldn't say I was always good at drawing the right boundaries for myself mm. or even the best boundaries probably for my team. Mm. You know, like there's probably um, like this. Yeah, but, yeah. But like I said, the, the poor definition of things uh, like the ambigu ambiguity of the roles and responsibilities is is everywhere yeah. inside of Amazon. And this was what I said, like a very recurring theme that I dealt with in Europeans. And it didn't really matter where they come from. So, so, um, even, yeah. even Americans who worked at European companies before they worked at Amazon would be like, yeah. I don't understand. what. Why don't we have a goal for this? Like who sets the goal? And it'd be like, well... You and I do. We're going to figure out the goal. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's really like a, a question. Uh, there, there's no right or wrong. It's a question of uh, how, how does leadership work? Like, who brings what to the table? How can you negotiate sort of a, a, a common team vision? Um, and yeah, and and who who has strengths in one way or another? Um, did you have like I'm curious? Did you have also people uh, who who didn't come from a software background at all, like in in Amazon, like leaders who who brought some? Yeah, lots yeah. of them. So, so yeah, this also is a, leading this is... software development teams. Like, was was this something you, absolutely you saw? Um, absolutely. How did the play, uh, dynamics play out there? Uh, so th this was very different between Microsoft and Amazon, actually. So. At Microsoft, pretty much all the leaders were originally developers. Now, what Microsoft is producing, the, the core product, the business, was software, right? The, I mean, the operating system, first and foremost, right? And then second was Office. But fundamentally, you know, shipping box software means you're building software. And so the product that, that people care about, in this case, was, was software. Um, and yeah, the business guys were kind of far away. The marketing team people at, at Microsoft, you know, almost never met them, right? Like they were, they were the people who market the product that you build afterwards. Um, and similarly, like in the early days, there wasn't a lot of product managers or uh, even program managers or even designers were relatively light when I first started at, at Microsoft. It's not that they didn't exist, but they're, they 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 did not set the direction and um that, that changed over time over the time that i was over there um you definitely got to see more product direction coming from you know product managers product leaders people who come from a product background not from a developer background um but overall the management chain was always full of developers at amazon 
the opposite was true. A lot of times the managers you're dealing with people were only tangentially developers. So line managers were mostly, you know, a, a dev manager is usually background in a developer type of thing. But as soon as you get one level above that, oftentimes it's the product or business managers that were um, running orgs, right? So that they, and these are people who come from more of a kind of typical product background, I'm going to say. And this this comes because Amazon sold stuff, right? So the core of their business was not actually the software. In fact, you know, software concerns are sometimes be like, yeah, whatever, you know, you just, just some people type in the corner and eventually our stuff gets sold. Like the most important thing is, you know, where do we get our stuff? How do we find our customers? You know, how do we, you know, keep the, the momentum going and stuff like this. And so that's, it's super, super different um, culturally. And and this, of course, was, depends on the organizational needs. You know, what did this organization need in order to be successful? What kinds of managers? Um, and, uh, and Amazon is more volatile in this regard, like that the organizations do shifting um, quite frequently to test, I think, some level to test whether or not these people are in the right roles. So, um, yeah, you mentioned like uh, senior engineers being like, or technical leaders, tech leads being somehow like a partner to the software development managers leading like a team of say like 14 mm -hmm. people. But, uh, and, and now you also tackled how, how the higher up levels look like. Is there actually a, a good place for someone, like someone really, really technical who, who uh, uh, like is that sort of a principal engineer, someone like on par and on the same level as, uh, as the, uh, let's say, as, as a general manager or director or something like that. that um, I, I believe this is also something you, you sort of had in Amazon. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. There, is that you, something absolutely. useful to have? And how can they oh, yeah. for sure. for influence sure. the company? For sure. So it is trickier. So if you say the the you know the L6 SDE role is um, I don't know kind of ideal if you want to be close to the code and be influential in making decisions and you want to have flexibility about what teams or projects you want to work on. It's a really at, at Amazon you kind of have your pick of orgs and teams and you kind of have your pick of what responsibility you want to take on um, as a developer. It's pretty awesome. That's a really good place. At L7, the next level above that, this is this is effectively director level um, impact, which means you, you need to be committed to, as an IC, as an individual contributor, you still you know, so, so if you were a, if you were in the management track, you would be a manager of managers, right? That's L7 would be, you're not managing, you're not a line manager, you're managing managers who actually manage the teams that do things, right? As an L7 uh, developer, you now have to have same, uh, the equivalent scope of impact as a director, which means, you know, fundamentally you got to be at the kind of 60 to 100 level you know, organizational impact for um, your decisions, right? Um, and this is tricky. And what I found at Amazon, uh, you know, so 
at Microsoft, there were technical problems that were more than one technical problem that prompted this level of impact where like you're really impacting the whole team or the business. Um, but, but it, but at Amazon, most, a lot of times this is much more organizational. This is figuring out how to get teams to work together, um, you know, better. So, and, and this is, so it's a lot of soft skills, right? It's a lot of how do you make cases and put the right people in contact with each other. And also there aren't, you know, if, if you see, if you talk about the two pizza team model of, of Amazon, there's, it's also kind of not every place can an L7 even, you know, make an impact. An L7 IC, it's not always obvious where you need one, mm -hmm. right? So if you've partitioned your problem well, then maybe you don't even need a principal engineer to guide um, the, the more junior developers into that next level, mm -hmm. right? Um, so th this, this, I personally, it it was not a very attractive role mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. The growth path at Amazon and Microsoft allows for remaining an individual contributor. I think it's uh it's challenging to 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 clearly demonstrate your impact with the scope of your impact when you're an individual contributor. It's harder to show like, hey, this is how big my impact is. Whereas like, you know, if you're a VP and you have, you know, 500 people working for you, you can say, that's kind of my scope of impact. You can just I mean, like it, claim, claim the credit from all of them. Yeah, it's, <laughs> at, some level, at some level you can, right? You can actually say, hey, this is, this is how many people I'm impacting, Yeah. right? Whereas, whereas with the principal engineer, you know, or senior principal or mm. DE, it's harder to... Um, to claim that out, you have to, you know, make an effort to explain mm -hmm. what that impact looks like. And I, and I think this is, I'm, I'm going to jump back to your previous question about differences between hiring um, here. So I, I've interviewed a lot of, a lot of people for senior developer here in, in Europe. And, um, and a lot of times they're very smart people like going through the the resume and they're you know they say they've technically they're very strong but because of the structure i think a lot of times of their businesses they were not either permitted to or encouraged or required to you know work at this kind of leadership impact level right so they're like they've been developing their technical skills about how they you know, how they solve problems and where they navigate things. But when it came to, hey, I have to make like, you know, for example, it's like you need to show how you've changed the processes of your team, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's what we'd be looking at the interview. We'd be like, hey, you know, give me an example of a place where you saw an opportunity and you helped the team change, mm -hmm. right? How you take, like, it could be like, converting a team, you know, or an org to say doing, you know, behavior driven development or something. You're like, I think this is the best idea ever. And I'm going to take the entire org. And this means solving the technical problems, the social problems, measuring success, convincing leadership, proving that the business is more efficient. All this stuff has to be shown. And that's for the like L6 mm. role. 
right? So it's not just saying, hey, I, you know, I, I solve problems faster than anybody else. That that's that's still an L five mm. for 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 Amazon. Yeah, but you really have because... to show sort of a mindset transformation, and that other people are kind of. Uh, following your path yeah. more or less and taking on um, your your mindset, and, and, your pattern of thought more or less, right? And and it's not just whether other people take on your mindset. It's that your mindset is that that's your responsibility, Yeah. right? Like that people, so like if people are like, oh, that's not my job. Like it's somebody else. It's like my, I, I suggested my manager, my manager said no, mm-hmm. right? Then, then, if that if you take if you accept that you know like well at amazon if you accept that then you know like it means it never gets done so you, you kind of are you're looking for the people who said i don't accept my manager rejecting my idea i'm going to do it anyway i'm going to go above my manager i'm going to go around my manager i'm going to do a grassroots thing i'm going to take the fact that it takes you know a year it's sort of to 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 make a convincing argument by doing proof of concept mm. and by shopping things around and pitch decks until until you know either I'm convinced that I'm not that I was wrong or other people are on board. Yeah, of course, this also encourages a bit more of risk taking because you still might be wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah, so sure. Um, you still might be wrong, and uh, even though you kind of. Uh, you, you kind of go around your manager and you are very convinced of your idea. You um, mm. you might end up failing, which is something I think in, in uh, uh, which is a bit counter to the mindset here in, in Germany and goes against the whole, um, the whole safety and security uh, um, value, which, which we like. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm, I mean, there's a little bit of the, you know, Darwinian aspect, right? I think we come back to the startup model. You know, Amazon is more like a lot of little companies in many ways than it is one big company, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the, you are competing with some other team some often for mind share within the company. You know, like there's two people, I mean... Two different teams will have the exact same idea and both of them will be able to run with it, you know, and somebody is actually going to kind of claim success first or claim success more completely or something like this. And the other team has then a choice to back off or it could actually say, you know, I'm going to double down. I'm actually going, I'm going up, I'm going even harder for my idea. I still think it's the right thing to win. And, um, and so this is, and and it is risky, right? So you you know, like depending on, you know, how it goes and how you're perceived, you know, like you know, like you you might you really do run the risk of not, like being over persistent, being not uh, like willing to learn or to to stop uh, when it like to. To stop uh, after, like, to fail, to to to, to overuse mm-hmm. sort of uh, um, to to overuse this kind of buzzword to to fail fast in in, in some way, but to kind of keep uh, keep severing, um, persevering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely have to persevere through a lot of things. I I think also the 
Um, another part that's different as you kind of go up the levels is the the time frame that you operate at, right? So, you know, you could say L4 people, junior people tend to operate just in the, I'm going to say in the the days to weeks comfortably and then in the, the months uncomfortably, right? And so like usually you don't see past the quarter you're in. You know, as you kind of go up, then you're like, oh, I, I'm confident about planning or, you know, seeing the work in terms of, you know, these are the, the weeks and months that it will take. But, you know, like you go up, then you say, I, I, this is the plan that I'm seeing here. And I'm looking at the impact of the decisions I make today. And I'm, a, I'm trying to guess what will happen six months or nine months, 18 months from now on. And then, you know, like, and how I can make three-year plans or five-year plans, which, you know, for a fact, will not even survive, you know, the next six weeks, right? Like you're still planning, you know, 12 months or 18 months out, knowing f full well that, you know, priorities and, um, mm. and information will change that will adjust those, those sorts of plans. So, but you may um, sort of making a bet and taking some risk and also probably mm. having some experience on how the ground may shift and, uh, sort of like, which which parts of your vision might need some like tinkering and defining so that the team could follow but which might and which parts might not be so so important but you still like have to sort of provide a coherent picture and it might be changed later and and, and aspects like that yeah um so I, i'm kind of curious um for you after having talked yeah. about you know, me, me talked about all this stuff with Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, is there something kind of crisp, something kind of clear that you that you see better now about differences between German companies and and Amazon at least, mm -hmm. but also possibly American culture? Because I think in many ways Amazon epitomizes it's an apex predator in the kind of you know the <laughs> tech ecosystem, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I. I see much more clearly how um, how technical leadership uh, is kind of could be differentiated from the traditional kind of uh, management, um, and how can two of those roles coexist? Um, that's definitely something I think we struggle with because. Um, yeah, because it it takes a while in bigger companies for people to become managers, but still you want to have some, still you want to have the most recent technical leadership, uh, because you 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 just don't have have any other choice. The 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 industry develops so fast, uh, and it it's not not possible for someone who um, who focuses on being um on being a people manager to to also be equally versed um in in the technical side of the business that's that's at least my my perception because you you maybe need some people who are much closer to um to let's say maybe a bit younger and out of the um out of the um, university, or you you need some some uh, 
people from from the outside who have worked in the um, in, in software engineering for a long time to bring those skills into to bring those skills into the company i would say yeah or into more mm -hmm. traditional companies so and and i also understand um I, I find the observation from your side very um encouraging about the difference of impact of uh scope with respect to uh, time frame um in which different uh leaders plan and um and also about the unnecessary like uh, sorry about the inevitable need to take um take additional risks uh the more you kind of move up yeah i find that very uh, yeah i think yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I i'm thinking about like interview questions and when we you talk about you know like hey you're just trying to filter out like what are kind of um calibrating for levels and scope of impact and definitely one of them is time frame you know so you know you ask for an example of like hey tell me about a time when you're working on a project and um you realized halfway through it was not what you know like it was not the right project or it was the wrong mm -hmm. you're on the wrong track type of thing and somebody will say hey uh it was working on a project and you know one week in we you know realize we're on the wrong track. So the project is only two weeks long. <laughs> yeah, that's a sneaky way to ask <laughs> about scope of impact. Yeah, but it also tells you what's their you know where does their project scope? Like they will tell you you know like how do they think of a project, right? What projects are they thinking about? Um, and if they if they're thinking about a project that is only sprint long then it's going to be hard for you to calibrate them against people who are used to making, you know, like the one year plan for the team, you know, so for, you know, like say, Hey, as an L6 developer on my team, I'm expecting you to plan out everybody's work for the quarter like to guide. I mean, not, not necessarily plan out like every little detail, but be cognizant of like, Hey, we got to, you know, 10 developers who are working on this thing and how are we going to allocate their work mm. in a way that, you know, hits our goals within over the next six months. Right. Yeah. That, and that's, that's really what an L6 developer will be asked to do. Mm -hmm. Not, mm. not like not organized sprint. It's make sure that when you talked about the risks thing, make sure that the team doesn't get flat footed for, you know, project risks, mm -hmm. you know, to make sure that we invest in things up front and especially in the technical sense where, where an SDM might not be technical enough to understand that there's, there are risks that are invisible, mm -hmm. right? So you say, Hey, if we don't do this, then what's going to happen is we're, we're going to, when we get that next level of customer base, the whole service is going to fall over. Right. And that's where, you know, the senior engineer is saying, "Hey, that's I see. I you you projected out a hundred thousand customers, you know, in six months. If we hit that target, we're actually going to fail, mm -hmm. right? So we're only designed. We only handle our you know peak right now is sixty thousand, and at eighty thousand, our systems become unreliable. Anyway, so this is, um, yeah, another example of mm. expectation, and I and I think." I think that all the 
all the big titans, all the big tech titans have fairly similar granularities of impact. When I interview and I talk to other people, the expectation they're they're pretty good. They're pretty well calibrated. Like the this goes back to the disciplines and the levels. Like the market is competitive, and so the calibration is at between. It's in the boundaries between companies. So you're looking for talent, and you're evaluating talent in a similar fashion to put them in a similar level, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, maybe we can wrap it up here. Do you have like a a final quick question? Yeah, perhaps like me? to. Uh tie a knot on on everything we've talked about do you um do you have final finally do do you think like there there's any anything uh german companies can can copy from um from american tech companies especially <laughs> those who can like who who are aspire to to do this digital transformation uh, do you see any patterns maybe you saw in the U.S. you would wish to have here to, to come back to the initial question um, you saw? I, you, I think your, 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 your assessment was correct, which is really that they, they need to take, be ready to take more risks and they have to be ready to fail more often. And I think this is actually at the, both at the individual level where people are like, if, if you, if you want to be kind of daring, then you actually have to be daring. And, but also at the company and investment level, I mean, the, the first thing that I kind of noticed about the Germans, the Berlin startup scene was how saturated it was with me too startups, you know, which is just like, Hey, there's this thing that we saw in Silicon Valley and somebody else got investment for it. We'll just this, do the same thing, but we'll, you know, brand it the German or Berlin <laughs> one. And, um, and I think that there's a real place for that. I'm not dissing it. I think that, you know, we all like to copy, you know, we like to copy a code before we write our own code, right? Like copy and modify. Um, but, but I also think that at the, especially at the kind of investment level, you know, people, you know, businesses and investors have to be ready to take the plunge and, you know, try something that nobody has tried before. And there's no guaranteed return on it um, in order for the, the, the kind of Berlin tech scene. And I think the, the tech scene to grow to the next level. And I think I'm seeing that. I think I see when I kind of, you know, scope on LinkedIn, what's starting up, I see some kind of ballsy looking, <laughs> um, you know, ideas that, you know, that aren't, kind of obviously going to be successful um yeah you know out there so i think that that for this uh non-tech a non-technical skill probably uh is, is most important like the uh to to have like a product vision and to understand like your customer and understand really the idea and the core value which is behind behind the startup if you just if you just have a hashtag uh, or you just have like a vague idea and you don't think very, very clearly about like, what are those people, like what are those customers you, you're trying to get? And also um, in which market does this all play out? Um, I mean, I, I didn't uh, notice the Me Too startups, but I like obviously StudiVZ, which was like the German Facebook, which was really just Facebook, but in red and in Germany. 
is is one of those examples which really failed and it it um it mm -hmm. started marketing really strange features it didn't have the um it it didn't have the right talent to develop the product further it got sort of stuck and then taken over by a advertisement company which put ads everywhere so the site became almost unusable and and it's it's, <laughs> it's a it's a really bad example how some idea which started in in the us much earlier and got somehow copied and taken over and just mm. totally failed in a way because there was no product vision in mm. in any way <laughs> yeah that's it would be good to to have some some more more of that and to um and i'm sure like there's there's a lot of uh those startups out there like um i i heard that you um i'm not sure can we can we say this here i heard that you are uh, also going away from amazon and you're joining one of those startups right yes so um i recently left amazon like a week ago and uh i've agreed to join a berlin based startup which is in the scale up phase um and i am joining it because i see the opportunity i think that their vision is big i think that they have the you know the the possibility to outgrow berlin by far and you know potentially impact kind of the world stage so um I'm pretty excited about that. I'll, that's a some, that's another podcast too, or that's another discussion <laughs> later too. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Then, all right. Well, thanks a lot for joining me, Benjamin. And uh, thank you. It was we'll talk soon. was a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, let's talk soon. <laughs>